Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Surfing Sales Podcast. I am your one of your hosts, Richard Harris, uh, Denver Broncos fan who won on the first week of the 2020 NFL season, joined by my friend Scott Lease, who is sadly licking his wounds from the Buffalo Bills. But I say that with love because I know how important it is to him. Uh, he has a Jim Kelly uh, image behind him. As that said with love, that said to torture and torment, but that's okay. Yeah, sometimes we do that to people. I, de- I, des- I deserve it. So, uh, before we introduce our guests, we want to give a, a quick shout out to our sponsors of Salesforce, um, Sales Cloud, as well as Vidyard, as well as Reggie.ai, and of course, Outreach.io. Uh, we appreciate all the support that they bring and give us for the podcast, as well as our uh, upcoming surf and sales events, which will have announcements for 2021 soon. So stay to. For 2022, you mean, Richard? Oh, 2022. You're right. Thank you. So. 2021, we're already rolling. I don't know if you're aware, but you're committed to being in Costa Rica for November. Like in like eight weeks, right? Yeah, very soon. Yeah. <clears throat> 2022. Uh, enough banter from us. Uh, let's introduce our, our friend and guest for today is the founder and CEO of Title, Steve Schmidt. Uh, it goes by Steven on LinkedIn, but I guess Steve on uh, Zoom. Is that correct? Yeah, trying to keep it inconsistent just to confuse people, but thank you. It's good to be here. And um, Stefan Diggs, Scott, you got a good one in Buffalo. Yes. Well, he didn't do that great yesterday, but he is uh, amazing and it's been a, a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah. Richard, I don't know if you know this, Richard, but we are talking to the most famous person on LinkedIn from South Dakota. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I might be the only person from South Dakota on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, look, so talk about like South Dakota. You born and raised. You just um, decided I want to get away from sort of these big cities. And I love the I love the region of, you know, um, lack of commercialization or forestry, improved forestry. Love does crazy things. I uh, I was born and raised in this small little uh, fort, town of 4,000 people outside. I guess you couldn't call it a suburb because there's no such thing as a suburb here. There are only towns and two cities. And uh, Rapid City's on the west. And everybody usually knows that because it's either the Black Hills or, you know, some people know Mount Rushmore. And then there's um, the Badlands. And on this side is a little town called Sioux Falls. And um, I lived in a little town. So I left to go to Minneapolis, said I'd never come back, ate my words, and came back when I was when I was 40. And I think a lot of people said that happens sometimes, but I had literally sworn it off and I'd say, I will never go back. It's too conservative. I don't need to be close to my family. And uh, yeah, I ended up back here um, kind of on accident, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm fully embracing it now. And it's, it's, we don't ever talk about this, but I know this a lot. There are a lot of places that are big cities become transient cities, right? San Francisco is probably one of the most notorious people come for several years and then they either stay and they often leave the city and move, you know, South Bay, North Bay, East Bay, or they go home. Just like, like what, what made you kind of go, you know what, I think I want to go home. I don't, we never talked about it. Yeah. Well, for me, I was a mess. Um, I was, you know, fully into my addiction at that point in time. So at least the only wits I had about me is I knew I needed to be closer to home because I was about to go through some some stuff that probably needed some support outside of my four walls of my house and a bottle of vodka. And um, although I couldn't yet say it, I, I, I knew that that was, now I look back that that's why I came home ultimately is I needed support around me and I didn't, didn't have the support, I guess that would require some heavy lifting and uh, shortly ahead of me. So it was, it was within months after I moved here that I ended up going to Hazelden for a 30 day stint. 
uh, in an institution that just happened to be very expensive um, and very worthwhile at the same time. That's great. Well, congratulations on on recognizing that. Um, are, you, are you comfortable talking about that a little bit? We don't really, sometimes we get yeah. into these deep, deep conversations. Do you, you know, were you always the party kid? Were you always that kid? Is it, maybe it runs in the family, which I know sometimes happens. Like, you know, do yeah. you, do you know your source? Oh yeah. Yeah. Alcoholism runs in my family. I don't know how far back my dad was adopted. He had a three other siblings who were all adopted um, from different nationalities. So, you know, good Catholic family from a farm town in South Dakota. Right. Um, or adopting. So I can't say he never wanted to meet his parents. I don't know what happened before that mm-hmm. um, in terms of that lineage, but Oh yeah, it's, 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 it ran down to my blood and, and touches some other of my families. And it was, I never, I never had, I was, I was the part, like I was the 20 year old sales kid who was like, definitely like the happy hour guy. I never, had, I never had once had booze in my house, never once bought anything until, you know, I'd found my dad dead in a hotel. He died a, an alcoholic death. And, and I should have known in hindsight that that was a very bad thing. So having to walk into that scene and kind of seeing the end phase of that. Um, mm-hmm. And he had, he had bottles and bottles of Johnny Walker red, the gallon, the leaders or whatever, the ones that you'd buy for a party, mm-hmm. like, and Budweiser, and I remember seeing it. And when I went into rehab, they were able to unpeel that because the the smells, the sights of what I saw that day that, you know, unfortunately people have had to see in different settings had stuck with me. And when I went in, I was just drenched in tears. And I said, I only, I said, it's like my life has been on a, a static television channel. And I only remember two things. I said, I remember being about six years old and my dad coming into the bathroom when I was in the tub and he said, I'm leaving. And I remember say, thinking to myself, I, I can't leave. I'm going to fill this tub with tears. Mm-hmm. And then I said, everything else between seems like a fuzzy station. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing the next thing was finding that scene, right? Which was, you know, blood and other mm-hmm. things in a room full of that. And I said, everything else in between, I just can't, it seems like nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I- the guy just looked at me, he goes, that's, that's, that's profound. Right. Right. Wow. What do you, what was your, what was your rock bottom moment? When did you finally go, okay, this thing's got me. I need to get a hold of, you know, my life and myself. Uh, in a hotel room, picking up blood. <laughs> okay. Um, not remembering really what I was doing there or how I got there. And, and I mean, it, I hate to say it's similar. It's not that much of a story where I go, I was in the same place as my dad, but I, I remember looking up from the toilet and I just, you know, the very bad scene, I remember going, oh man, here I am in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Nobody's around. They've all said enough's enough. You know, nobody's running after me or saying, hey, Steve, no, no, don't do that. They're all like, you know what, whatever it is you're going to do, we're out. You know, we're right. you're kind of running out, ran out of people wanting to help because I was turning them all away. Right. Well, congratulations to you for, for getting there. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure it's, I know it's a daily struggle. I have several friends who, who have uh, alcohol, alcohol, alcohol addictions and other addictions. So I know it's, uh, it's something. So I commend you for, for getting yourself to a good and safe place. Well, yeah, thanks. I uncrushed big yep. part of that. I mean, in terms of a resource, you know, Scott's book, I immediately resonated with for obvious reasons, right? Yep. There's a reason there's steps, <laughs> you know, you got to kind of admit you have a problem to want to solve a problem. And, and it's interesting because once I started seeing the parallels in life and work, it kind of became, became easier to go, oh, 
there is a process for this. And mm-hmm. It is what, whatever thing you choose or program or whatever it is, like that was my first step was like, oh, there's a solution, but I have to admit I have a problem first. So it's like when you talk to a rep and they're like, no, I'll hit my activity. And you're like, okay. And yeah. they admit they, they don't admit they have a problem. The solution is hitting your activity or whatever. If you're just looking at that and, and they, they know the, they don't admit they have a problem. They go, I got it, man. Just come on. I got it. And so it's interesting because once in a while I'll talk to a rep and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, you kind of got to step them through it. You can't just snap your fingers and go, just can't just get it right. Come on, man. Cause I was like, man, people are sitting around telling me to get it right for years. And I go now <laughs> I got this. Yeah. So don't worry. So after being a, a sales leader for so long, mm-hmm. what kind of kicked you over the fence and, and made you, you know, put on the, uh, the founder hat? I never, I, I was told by people, Scott, it's a great question. Cause I, I mean, a lot of things can be found out with that answer. I kept being told by numerous people, you should just be a CEO, be a founder. And I was like, well, what does that mean? It's the guy in the corner office or the guy, the important decision maker um, until I was honestly, so to, to wind that clock back one more time, until I was sober for about a year and a half and started to trust my own self. That's when I thought I'm actually capable of so much more. So I was addicted to benzos and booze and other drugs, you know, um, but when I was clean, my brain was working very well. And I kind of felt like, uh, you know, Zach Galifianakis and uh, what's the movie where he has that stuff above his head and it's like he's a wizard of math all of a sudden. <laughs> I would sit there and I was like hacking algorithms in my brain while I was observing stuff. And I was like, where's all this coming from? And like, I never thought of this stuff before. I just, I just, I was simply existing and going on autopilot and being like, okay, you know, you get a deal, you close a deal, you lose a deal, you screw a deal up, whatever. I never thought about the semantics at that level before. And so when I started looking into things and going, hmm, to me, I'd have a, a problem with addressing Scott. So to me, top of funnel was a problem, still is a problem, right? Outsourced sales, SDR as a service, never thought a million years I'd want to do that business because I hired a million firms. They all were terrible. So I thought, oh, okay, so address a problem and then be a company that's not terrible. Pretty easy. Well, it's pretty hard, actually. Um, so I took my first gig was as title. I needed a name because I got hired as a consultant. I, when I got out of rehab, my sponsor said that, I need you to do one thing. I said, what's that? I said, because you've got a list of like a thousand things you've told me. So <laughs> the list keeps getting bigger. He said, I need you to just take a job and do it for a year and don't quit whatever you do because you're a quitter. You're a perfectionist. And nothing's ever good enough and you quit and run away. You're the problem. They're not the problem. I thought this guy's a real asshole. And so I did that. I took a job at a place that was a, a, an IT and copier shop. I got out of rehab. I, I went to work and I just did that for a year and I hated it. I just, I just despised it, but I did it. I, I, I did it and I got done one year and a day. And I said, okay, I quit today. And he said, well, you did it for a year. And I said, man, that was really tough. And uh, right before COVID had came on, I, I, I quit and I said, I'm going to be a consultant. Consultant. Wait, I, don't, I, I want to pause for a second. I want to pause for a second. Yeah. What was the struggle like being committed for a year? Because I think everybody has that challenge, particularly in the startup world, regardless of your, your personal history, right? Um, particularly now the job market is so hot, right? Mm-hmm. What, what advice do you give to those people to encourage them to stick for at least a year? Um, based on the, your own struggles? Like what were, you know, I guess I'm asking a couple of questions. What were your struggles to stick around for a year? Cause you were like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, 
you know, like you were, you were, you know, they used to say in Vietnam, they would count down the days, right? Like how many days yeah. do I have left till I get out of here? Right. What were your struggles? Was it the discipline? Was it the yeah. boredom? Was it, what was it? Uh, definitely is the discipline of doing the same thing over and over again and not going, but I could do that. I could be an enterprise rep for this software or whatever was in my head and saying, well, that's mm -hmm. easier. That's better. I'm more deserving of that rather than just saying, I'm going to do the same thing. Carry water, chop wood, carry water, chop wood over and over and over again. Develop a funnel, see it through, close it, lose deals, win deals, start it over again, do it again, do it again. And I was like, if I can do this selling managed IT and like stuff, I just honestly, right, wrong, or indifferent, did not care about. Like, I'm not an IT person. I'm not going to talk to you about a router. I don't really know what it does besides makes the internet work. I don't know the ins and outs and the gigabits and the whatever. And so I, I, I did that for a year. And sure enough, I built up a good funnel and closed $1.8 million in business and got a big commission check. And at the end, and, and I said, wow, isn't that funny how that works? If you just do something consistent, just about everything works out if you're consistent. So the key word here is consistency. I was a high and a low guy. I loved the big wins. I hated the losses. And in between just didn't exist for me. Which, yeah. by the way, I mean, did, you, did you hate losing more than you liked winning? Losing, yeah, totally. I just thought, well, I don't lose deals. I lost deals all the time, but in my head, I wanted, I would tell them no before they would tell me no, because I was too good to ever lose a deal. And reality was, yeah, hell yeah. I hated losing. I hated it really bad. Still do. Well, that that's, it's an interesting thing because um, I can relate to this. I mean, I think you get addicted to the low just as much as you get addicted to the high. The worst thing to me is sometimes just existing without either of those. And I think that that's kind of the mind of an addict and somebody who's been through whatever the particular drug or addiction is. I've espoused that for years. I'm like, I'd rather feel like a million bucks or feel like I belong in the ground and anything in between, I don't even feel alive. Mm -hmm. So how do, you, how do you get comfortable with that and spread that to your team in a leadership position as a founder right now, that it's where we need to be is okay. And we don't need to like win the championship right now today and, and, you know, go broke tomorrow kind of thing. How do you balance all that out when it's a struggle for yourself? It is the one thing I work. So I, I when I wake up, and the first cup of coffee goes, and I can feel my brain still going, go fast, go fast, go hard, win today, win it all. And then my wife and kids wake up and usually are the first thing to remind me that, oh yeah, like that there is, you're committed to this thing called life and life says tough shit, Steve. It's not always going to work that way. And so I can't tell myself that because I know my brain wants to go fast. I think it's going to always want to go fast. I can't sit down and meditate. It is freaking impossible. I, 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 maybe someday, but to me, I'll sit down and meditate and then I'm like, you know, checking an email or, or like yeah. I hear a song and I, I, I just have accepted that, that that doesn't have to be that way forever, but that is a struggle of mine. So I hire good people around me and I had to, you know, we, we went, if you would have told me, and now I hear from everybody, of course, they were probably saying it. Growth is not a problem. It's control, the goddamn word controlled growth, which I hate, you know, 
I didn't think, I was thinking, well, where are we going to get a customer? Well, now we got 34 of them. We haven't advertised yet. Well, we got $340,000 a month in revenue coming in. I have 34 employees to employ and they count on me now. And so if I don't get consistent with them, we are screwed. If we work in my old brain, they are all going to be unemployed and poor in about a month. And they've trusted me to do better than that. So I have to show up and get good people around me. And I always say to anybody who hire in leadership here, we got seven of them. I say, tell me no often, please. Is it, like do, you find it, do you find it easier to do the things that you're supposed to do because there's so much responsibility in, in the weight of all these employees than if you were on your own? Thousand percent. I'd be running myself into the ground. Yeah. So in a way, they kind of, they keep you level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. This means Scott's going to go hire somebody after this call. I know. Yeah, I'm going to hire 34. I'm going to hire 34 people. <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend it. Yeah, you did. No one told me. I, I heard cash flow and I was like, yeah, that sounds, I, I'll get that. Now, holy shit. You know, that's the other thing is bootstrapping is stressful enough. And then you get into it, you go, oh man, people probably don't pay their invoices on time. Scott, I think you said the best. Oh, God, God. Here. Pay your invoices on time. Holy shit. You'd, yeah. we'd, be, we'd be so successful. People just pay their yeah. invoices on time. Yeah, I had no idea that the, like three or four word uh, posts would get like a couple hundred thousand views like that. It seemed like that was a huge pain point. That, that oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. So you, you mentioned, you know, bootstrapping. Now, uh-huh. for your business, this is not exactly like the darling of VC kind of business where no. people are going out and raising you know, all sorts of money. So you kind of on some level don't have a choice, but to bootstrap, right? That's right. Yeah. Nobody wants to touch us with a 10 foot pole. They're sniffing around now, Scott, because yeah, they hear fast growth or they see someone LinkedIn and they'll ask a question, but as soon as they hear like 35% margin, like see you later. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, services, low margin, our attrition's low. We're sub 10%, but I mean, whatever that could change tomorrow. So they don't want, yeah, I doubt we'll ever get funding in that, in that stretch. Our funding will come from banking. As they say, I said, what are my options for funding? They said an SBA loan. I said, that's the least sexy thing I've ever heard. An SBA loan. I'm like, I'm not putting that on our press release. Uh, Title just received funding from the SBA. Like that sounds terrible. Turns out it's not a bad option. The interest rate's low and I don't have to give up control to anybody. (laughs) You didn't, you didn't get, you, you raised money. From we private did. equity. Private equity backed a, by the federal government. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, plus you could, you know, I'm assuming you took care of the PPP loans last year. So took advantage we, we did. We, we were 12 days late to qualify for one. So we did not get one, but. Um, oh, no. We so. tried like hell. Yeah. We just, we, we've used funding. We've, we've got great customers actually. They, in this, so we, I actually, Scott, your post inspired me. And I went to our team. I said, you know, read this post. And they said, wow, wouldn't that be nice? I said, if people don't pay their bill, we're cutting them off. They said, oh, but if we cut them off and they don't come back, I said, we have to be so good that they can't live without us. Mm-hmm. You know? And they said, ooh, that sounds like a problem too. <laughs> and I said, yep. if we can solve the first problem, we can solve the second. Meaning if we're so good, if we're not good and we can shut them off, they go, oh, thank God they're gone. So then we should, should close the shop today. Yeah. So by the way, Tell people what title is. Like we've kind of alluded to it. Go ahead and tell them it's okay. You're not plugging. You're just explaining where your where your answers are coming yeah. from. Yeah, top of funnel. Sales development as a service is what we do. We get hired by companies to do their top of funnel work. Got it. What do you so when you look to hire your team, right? Because you have outsourced SDRs, BDRs, mm-hmm. whatever the, the catchphrase is for your client. 
Mm-hmm. What are the traits you're looking for in those people? What advice now that you've done this and you've scaled it and you've got them, you know, the cool thing about what you have is that you have the ability to see that, oh, this type of person works great in this vertical versus that vertical versus this, like, you know, what are you seeing as the trends there um, in general terms? Curiosity and discipline, those two stand out immensely because they've got to want to work with different different companies. So one could be an AI SaaS company, the other could be a, um, one of our best customers is a real estate company where every time they got mm-hmm. a listing coming up, we call the hundred properties around them. They pay us over six figures a year and then some, and they, they get a good ROI. Very non-traditional, but you know, the, the margin on that stuff is huge. You sell right. a $400,000 house over and over again, or $800,000 house. I mean, you get money within two weeks, closing, boom, move on, next, next, next. And that's very, um, it's tough work. I mean, we're doing phone work and we've got all the tools to make it happen. That that doesn't, it doesn't, the the people have to be curious enough and and they have to be addicted. I mean, this is what we have in our, you have to be addicted to the process. We prescribe things and we borrowed that from you, Scott, um, tip of the hat. And, And they have to know that, we aren't dashboard jockeys, but we know what it's going to take. And so when they show up working for client A, we go, that client is how many licks does it take to get the center of that Tootsie Pop? Our math says with real-time data, 63 calls, 17 emails, and 16 text messages will get to where they want to get. And we've been right within 22%. Say that. Can you say that one more time, yeah. Steve, for everybody? Yeah. So when we talk to a customer and they say, we always say, what is your goal? Well, I want to close a half a million dollars in revenue. What's your average deal size? What's your margin? We go through all the variables. We reverse engineer that using our own stats on our outbound efforts. Yep. And then we say, based off what you told us, this is how much it will take to get there. And we we don't guarantee it because that's ridiculous because we can't close the deal. But we found that we're within 22%. We're right in terms of being on that, hitting the nail on the head. And those metrics are 63 calls. Then I... I yeah, I it's, it, I, I'm looking at one customer, 63 calls, yeah. 17 emails, 12 text messages, for example. And that's yeah. to get a meeting. If we do that daily, we'll get to their monthly goal to get them 12 meetings. That's this one client. I got you. Okay. Yeah. That, I was Every, to everybody, everybody's different because they all have different goals. So every yeah, client's right. got a different prescription. Yeah. So the, the part that I, that I find interesting, and obviously this is, like you said, going to be different based on the client. But I think if you said those metrics to a large swath of the sales population, the SDR population right now, freak out, they would freak the fuck out and think that's way too much work. Oh, that's one client. They've got two. Our average person's doing about 200 oh, calls a day. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But Richard and I have had conversations, you know, fairly recently where people are in these SDR roles and they're like, you know, I'll make about 10 calls a day and send about 20 emails a day. And for what? That, well, that's a hard day's work to them. You know, the justification is, well, we're doing lots of research and we're trying oh. to make super personal and all this kind of thing. Right. And so I hear those metrics from you, 63 calls, 17 emails. I'm like, that was like, you know, I was done by 1 PM when I was selling with those kind of metrics. So it's, it's interesting for me to hear somebody, you know, still championing a little bit of a volume kind of play. Oh shit. We have three to today alone, 3,422 calls and we have 16 active SDRs. 
That's but that's because you've got the tech behind it. So here's yeah, what, well, here's, we're not going to dial the test though, because I love how yeah. Scott says he likes this, and so this is the test that the number is five three zero two zero nine three six six seven, right? That's five three zero two zero nine three six six seven. Everybody should call and text Scott sixty three times. So that's his personal <laughs> cell phone number. I didn't say that I would call the same person 63 <laughs> times, Richard. <laughs> Apparently I'm on fire today. I'm giving Scott oh a lot of <laughs> That's good. Listen, I, you're running, running through the, the math and the, and the sales metrics, which, you know, not a lot of founders actually can do. So yes. there's at least not straight away. They learn it, I think, o- over time. But coming as a sales leader and moving into that that seat that you're in, that's got to be, you know, a pretty good, um, you know, advantage for you. So I wonder now, do you have more or less sympathy for VPs of sales and CROs now that you've sat on this side of the, the table? Oh, God. Oh. That's well, a no. I, I- he has no yeah, sympathy I, for you, Scott. I think it's less. I think I mean. I think it's less. Way less. I mean, so many are doing a half-ass job at it that it's just like it's talk, talk about that. What what is what does a half-ass job from a VP of sales look like? Oh, you know, one who wants speaking engagements and wants to you know do this all day. Not not. I mean, this is great, but like they don't want to do the real work and dig in. They go, well, I, I, I'm a VP. I just have to steer the ship. I want to go side by side with my reps and dig in and see what they're doing. And and the toughest thing for people, the only reason we don't want to manage by numbers is because we want to abide by this fact that we, like you said, personal, uh, personalize it. Well, tell me when that's worked. It hasn't really at scale. Like you can, yeah, if you're engaged with someone, personalization video, great, that all works. But on the top end, if you want to go to a total addressable market and tackle it and win it, and you don't have the new sexy term, which is product-led growth, which is really only Slack and Salesforce and other people who have that ability to grind it out with product-led growth and Slack ended up hiring all kinds of sales reps to scale, then you have to put in the work. And I've worked at one of the largest shops, starts with an O and ends with an H on the West Coast, left coast. They don't work that hard. (laughs) Their product is great, but it's not like they're grinding out 200 cold calls. I mean, they are mostly getting inbound. They... I, I had a, I'm telling you, and that that's fantastic. They've done great, right? But the reality is, is not every company has the luxury of having all sorts of capital thrown at you to be able to hire at scale to throw a bunch of SDRs and go, well, if we only have them do about 50 a day, I bet you 30% will hit their mark. I'm using that as an example. It's a fantastic company, by the way. By the way and, and, and you can't do that. Most companies can't operate that way. So they have to start and go, and this is where they employ us and our team is because when we say we'll do 142 calls a day, they go, holy shit, really? Yeah. And we'll go, yeah, we're going to give you the report every day right out of Salesforce that says this is what we did. So what is your advice, though, for that company who doesn't have a TAM that big, right? It's good when you're in the real estate world, right? The TAM's like oh, yeah. ridiculous, right? But you may, you know, even if you have 20,000 potential customers and mm-hmm. they've got six potential contacts, right? It's 120,000 people, you yeah. know. You, you can still blaze through that in two years if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, <laughs> we've made the mistake. Right, why is right it away. bad to go through? Why is it bad to blaze through it in two years? Because if that's all, well, I don't, I don't know. Call me out. Take over. I feel like I just did, but I want Steven to spike the ball after he scores the touchdown. Well, it's, it's 
why is it bad? Well, you can certainly earn a bad reputation quickly, which is by addressing the wrong customers, which yep. we've done. We did it once or twice. And we pulled out day three. We said, we're, we're exercising our part of the contract that says we can walk away. This is not the fit it was supposed to be. We walked away from a $350,000 contract. We just said, no way, this will destroy us and we will get a bad reputation. Wrong market. We're not a call center. We aren't you know, here to, to do a two minute, get off the phone and pitch a quick 10 minute meeting. So I think for us, it was, I mean, for those companies, not to make it about us, for those companies, yeah, find the right customer, but you're going to, I mean, you're going to make some mistakes. Just know when you do and pull out quickly. Just don't keep making the same mistakes. Everybody knows when it's the wrong customer. Don't go find another one just like them. And that TAM is, a, a, you know, we all, VCs, you know, show me the TAM, show me the pipe. What's it going to look like? Okay, great. The addressable market's only addressable if you address them and you have to properly, you have to equip yourself with people to go do it. And marketing's great, but it really is a backdrop and you have to go aggressively, aggressively force the conversation. You have to meet Scott Lease where he's at and Richard Harris. I can't personalize an email to you when it's completely irrelevant to you getting anything out of it. And I'm sure you guys get hit up all the time, all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and no matter how personalized it is, does it matter? No, no, and but Scott, it's also I, very, I think it's pretty different for us too. Yeah. Well, you guys have been there, done that. You've led big companies, but if someone just says, Richard, I love that you're a part of Uncrushed, blah, 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 blah. Scott, I love your book, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. They don't know what problem you're currently having today. Scott's not a fan of average. Scott did some big things in his last role before he's gone full-time by himself. Why? What made Scott do that? What made Scott choose to leave and go on his own? What motivates Scott? Richard made Scott do that. <laughs> but understanding those things is, is the point that Steve's talking about. I know. Yeah. The messages that we get, you know, how many messages do you get about surfing? I get messages for surfing sales every single day. I get the people who want to try and pitch us podcasting services, right? Like, you know, we can help market this. Legal services. I get accounting services. I get top of funnel services. I get nothing like that. Quite all of you forward all that crap to me, then you must. So I get all of that stuff. So Steve has less sympathy for the VPs now. Now, I have recently come across some literature published by a venture firm where the venture firm is saying, uh, you know, it, being a founder is by far the best role. It's the only way to make wealth. You get one to 200 times the ROI without assuming 100 to 200 times the risk. But this is not me saying this. This is a venture fund. And so I put that out there and shared it. And I got obviously attacked hate mail straight away from a bunch of founders who are like, bullshit. We take 200 times the risk. Do you agree with this statement that, that founders get 100 times the ROI but aren't actually taking on 100 times the risk? And if so, why? I, I've not made a cent yet, and I'm okay with that. I guess I'm paying myself a, a decent wage to pay the bills. I, I mean, I don't think – if you're not working really, really hard as a founder, like I guess I, I'm not – I've not experienced that. I mean, I'm working the longer hours. I'm okay with it. I have to explain it, re-explain it to my spouse a lot, my partners, why it's important and critical and how I'd love to not. And yes, it sounds great to hire a coach and go, oh, yeah, you just have to delegate. Great. Show me how that's done. We're, we can't delegate shit we haven't figured out yet. <laughs> like, 
And I enjoy the process too. Like, this is fun for me. Like shit, I woke up, I was telling Richard, I woke up yesterday and thought it was Monday. I was dressed and showered and walking out the door on a Sunday. And I was like, reminds me of my drinking days. Um, but I, I guess for me, it's fun that what the return is like, I sure do. I want a return to happen on this. Absolutely, man. But in order for me to get, let's say 10 X, I mean, if I threw a half million in to get 10 X out the other side, is that good enough? Sure. That's great. Um, I, I don't know what that goal is. We don't have a scalable product like SaaS to go, oh, this is just going to go global and sort of have a forced multiplier. I am the forced multiplier, unfortunately, for better or for worse. We've spent zero on marketing. I started going with LinkedIn content and not everybody likes it. Most people hate it. Guess what? We've converted about $4 million in revenue off of my silly LinkedIn posts. Yeah. It works. Yep. Totally. Totally. And so, and so what are the ways that you think about scaling yourself? We are releasing a product in Q4 that's going to be uh, trying to do LinkedIn content and addressing the total addressable market via LinkedIn without doing pitch slapping. Uh, that's going to be good. It's a doubling the margin on the product, and it's a good service that's a lower cost of entry. And then we're looking to um, scale with sales ops as a service so we can get more consultative and be the implementer and the managed services to help support and build all the things that people need to. And, um, and then... I just posted about this today. I, I, I can't wait to see if someone can solve out it. If I go instead of Zoom info and go down the list of a million data providers, I want to know Richard Harris. If I pull his contact information, I want to see as close as possible to the propensity that he has to answer and respond by which channel in real time. Meaning, I love that one. Yeah, that's where we're throwing all of our efforts. So I'm hiring meaning, a data scientist. Where, where does Richard engage the most? Yeah. yeah. What's, and, what's the best way to get a hold of, of me? Yep. Richard, what's the best way to get a hold of me of all the channels? Oh, LinkedIn's the easiest in my opinion. Or yeah. Texting. What's one, which, if you message me though, you personally, what's the fastest way to get a reply? Oh, text message easily. See, got, that's, that's a text. That's what, that's what Steve's getting at. So now imagine I have this list and as I look at this list, it goes Richard text message, Steve, cell phone, Janet, email, right? Yep. Yeah. We're going to pick the path of least resistance and go after you hard. And so you don't have to guess and spend a lot of time throwing all this data investment, you know, 50 cents a lead at Zoom Info. For what? I think, For people who I will think, never I respond. Think this, I think this would be incredibly valuable. So I, I'll keep my yeah. eye on it. Hopefully it. Yeah, hopefully this it is works. cool. Of course, Scott yeah. knows me. Where's my head going right now, Scott? What's my concern? I, what's, I don't know, actually. What's your concern? You know, the, all the private. How are they going to know my stuff? Oh, God. All, oh. Richard's already worried about the legal HR. Right. Exactly. Well, you got to opt in. So think about this. If you want to play, you got to get your Chrome extension and allow us to see within your CRM, which is what Seamless did, right? Seamless.ai. Right. It's a pay-to-play crowdsource sort of thing. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be popular. But that's the only way to do it. And, and, and to be compliant, right? And you, um, Richard, actually, one of the guys who I've talked to the most is, I don't know if you remember this, but I got a little testy. My, uh, that side that I have to go calm down in the tin shed with cups of coffee got a little wild on one of your posts and I was calling a guy out. And so you said, Steve, I think he's just trying to be nice. Uh, I wouldn't take it so personal. And I kind of got a little, and I came back and said, God, Richard's right. I shouldn't be such a dick. Uh, Jess, Jesse's pretty smart, man. Jesse's got some good stuff going. Jesse, um, oh, yeah, I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, so. yeah. And so those people who are out there putting this stuff, there are some amazing minds. There's a lot of snake oil and bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I made the mistake twice of buying the bullshit, right? Well, you know, you're a new founder, everybody comes running, you're like, you're an idiot, buy this. 
Um, and so I go to the people who prove the work like right now, or at least can, can sh that they're willing to hustle to make this happen. So that's, we're going to go hire a data scientist. We're going to try and make some sense. I mean, we get more data across multiple industries than most people I know right now. So why not use that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Can anybody go pull my LinkedIn data and see that Richard's this active on LinkedIn? So if I know what my TAM is, I can go and say, show me all these titles. I mean, is that... Show me that they're active, not show me who they are and what city they're in. Active as in logged in or posting and engaging? Posting and engaging. Yeah. Yeah. You can find out pretty easily. There's, there's a service that doesn't. Yeah. Yep. Oh, all right. Cool. Yep. <laughs> He's not going to tell us because that's going to be him. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why go work. to, why, why would you pitch people on LinkedIn when they don't even log in? Like so, save your that's time. That's my point. So yeah. Uh, well, this has been, I know we got to sort of move towards wrapping up, but this one flew by like crazy flew by. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, we're going to ask you our, our famous last question of what can we answer for you, but quick, a quick shout out to Vidyard, um, outreach.ai, um, IO, sorry, outreach.io, reggie.ai and Salesforce, of course. So thanks to everybody for supporting us. We definitely, definitely appreciate it. Um, Steve, what, what can we answer for you? I am going to answer you. I'm going to ask each a question. This is curious. So this is, I'm not, it's not. Wait, I have one more question. Sorry. Wait, I'm going to interrupt yeah. myself. What are the gold and platinum records behind you? Oh, that's good marketing by Brandon from Seamless um, from two and a half years ago. I, I used him at one of the startups and he said, that's cool. It's marketing. I guess what? Everybody asks. I'm like, bravo. Well done. That's like an $80 plaque. And it looks like I'm a recording artist. So Scott, we need to get some of those. That's pretty good. That's a good one. So yeah, yeah it is good. Anyway, go ahead. So what is your question for us or question? So when you, when you guys did surfing sales, there's something magical about surfing. I haven't figured it out yet. Cause I've tried to stand up on a surfboard multiple times. What about surfing besides getting away is magical when you thought of that, because to me, surfing is this, the ocean, there's a name title there. So like when you chose that, why did you choose surfing sales versus any other thing in sales? Well, frankly, because, you know, I've been a, a surfer for a long time and Richard and I, when we, when we had the idea, we were in Costa Rica and I was surfing and <clears throat> sort of was thinking like, how can I, you know, potentially make some money off of the two things that I love doing, which is surfing and, <clears throat> and traveling and as well as talking shop about sales and sales leadership and and what have you. So it, it, it was not like we just, uh, you know, threw stuff against the wall and kicked around different ideas. It was just like, yeah, it's surfing. And then our, our other partner, Jeff is a <clears throat> longtime friend of mine and he's one of my surf buddies. And so then it became like, you know, how can we weasel a few surf trips a year under the guise of doing business? Right. As we explain this to our families and our, and our wives. So that was, that's really like, really why, but you know, I've, I've heard them all at this point, Steve, it's like golf and sales, wine tasting and sales, uh, baseball and sales, soccer and sales, windsurfing, kite surfing, hunting. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other ones, Richard, that, that you've heard, but I think we've, we've heard them all at this point. And I always say people, yeah, you totally could do that. Yeah. Yep. Totally good. Could. It's yeah. not easy. Yeah. Good luck. 
So. Uh, okay. I got one more question for you, Richard. Um, mm-hmm. uh, your commitment to the organization Uncrushed, like what made you choose that one? What is the thing that makes you say that's something I can get behind? Uh, it was my relationship with the people there. Um, I knew Tim Clark before uh, and, and had gotten to know him at Salesforce and um, from Salesforce and different events from Sales Hacker. So I, there was a connection there. And then I knew of Lindsay Boggs and she wrote her story about how she literally checked herself in um, because she was just breaking down and she posted it on LinkedIn. And I was like, wow, Wow. that is bold. And so I reached out to her coldly and said, you know, wow, I'm just so moved. Thank you so much. You know, you know, my situation is not like that, but I, I feel it and I understand and just, you know, thanks so much. And then, um, Actually, another friend of ours, Tammy McQueen, was actually a, an original founder way back when. And so when it, so as they were doing things, I started to say, hey, if I can ever do something, let me know. And then Tim said, can you, you know, do you want to tell your story? So I told my story and then I started promoting it. And then I just started talking about the topic as a whole. And Tim, I think Tim just saw me um, just sort of being passionate about it and something I was open to doing and um, asked me to, to join the board. So that's how I, that's how it became. You know, that's how it came along. It was very, it was very organic. It was not, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then, you know, as I started to get into it, I even looked at my wife and I said, you know, I don't have a cause. Like I don't go and donate my time to certain things. And I think this should be my cause. Um, and I think that's really, you know, I don't, I donate way more time than, than money to it, but I feel like that's okay too. So. You both are, I mean, so that's important to me. So, I, I mean, not to, to like keep praise here intentionally, but it, seeing that two people like you are investing yourselves into to organizations like that. I've, I've been a part of Uncrushed by sharing. My, my only donation besides the small one this far has been an article I was gracious enough to share and have had people write back saying, you know, mm-hmm. holy shit, like this, you've, I checked into rehab because of this article. Oh yeah, tons. And yeah, man, to me, the power in that and Scott, your book and people, like, I think it was, maybe it was painkiller, Scott, right? When you went through the numerous yeah, that's right. times. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of forget, like, we all get attached to our thing and we're like, oh, alcoholism, alcoholism, oh, depression. Like, it's all these things. And and I think it's one thing to, like, like open up your keyboard one day and vomit all over it on LinkedIn. Everybody's like, oh, wasn't quite ready for that. But to have a direct organization that allows people to share their stories in a very targeted way mm-hmm. has really shifted like probably more than you guys know, people are, I mean, you, you know it, but I will tell you people when they talk about your names and those organizations, you're changing lives daily. So I, I personally just want to thank you for that because when I was on the other side of this thing, I didn't even know that shit existed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now I see it working and I go, thank God for all this. This is amazing yeah. because people are now knowing that they have multiple opportunities to raise their hand and say, I need help. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's okay to do yeah. that. So thank I will, you. I will, I'm going to give the shameless plug since you set it up really nicely, but we put out a 2021 um, state of mental health in sales uh, report back in May of this year, in June of this year, 2021. Um, so, you know, if people are interested at the leadership level to understand how it's affecting their team and more specifically, what, what are the things that lead to best outcomes, right? We asked, we asked the questions very differently. We said, when you're achieving your goals, what was your management doing? 
not what do you wish your management would do, right? And so we get people to go to that positive mindset and go, oh, this is what was happening. And that's the piece that we found to be the most interesting because then we would ask them the other question of, well, what do you wish they would do? And those two things didn't actually correlate <laughs> like what, what they thought they wanted versus what actually attributed was, was different, which is good because now it's like, well, somewhere in the middle is the truth. Right. And that's what everybody's trying to find. So thank you for setting that up. I know we didn't plan that ahead of time, but it's. The, yeah, not at all. So yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Steve. Yep. For sure. Thanks gentlemen. Appreciate Always it. a pleasure, Appreciate man. Good to see you and catch up with you. Let us know what we can do. And uh, we look forward to getting you to surf and sail soon. Me too. Spring, summer. I missed the fall again. My wife has to punish me for that. So.